Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Welcome back to the show and welcome back, Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor at McClarty Associates. Good to see you, my friend. How are you doing? Great to be back on this on the national airwaves. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, I, I get a WhatsApp just before I'm about to come on from uh, my son, Bennett, and I figure it's yeah. either, oh, yeah, it could be, Dad, I need money. <laughs> Dad, have a good show. No, what he says, has Neil watched the new season of Dairy Girls? Because Bennett's just getting into it now, so he oh. needs Neil's insight. Oh, yeah. Insight, go, yeah. approval. The answer is yes, I have seen it. Yes, I think Derry Girls is the best comedy I've seen in the last decade. Is that I'm right? happy to recommend it to everybody. I don't think the third season is as good as the previous two. I think the second season ended on a perfect note with Bill Clinton, your old guy, of course, when he made that historic trip to Ireland. But if anybody wants a viewing recommendation for the weekend, Derry Girls is the number one show. It'll make you laugh and cry at the same time. It's perfect. You know what I'm watching now, which I don't necessarily recommend? Shantaram. Have you? That's on that Apple one. TV. It's an amazing book, and hmm. I just don't think you can turn that book into a show. So I'll give it. A, I'll give it a couple shots. But <laughs> Dairy Girls gets a thumbs up from Neil. Huge thumbs up. Huge. You'll need subtitles in Singapore. <laughs> very, yeah. very strong Irish accents, but it is hilarious and poignant at the same time. Not for small children. I want to make that yeah, clear. Yeah, what's the age range? Well, it's about teenagers. My daughter loves it. I, I watch every episode first before I let her watch it. There's only one episode we haven't let her watch. I can't remember which one, but there was one. Um, everything else, it's just teenagers. So it's a bit hypocritical not to let teenagers watch a show about teenagers. But, yeah, parental guidance is advised. Yeah, But right. great, great, great fun. Well, so speaking poignant. of parental guidance, <laughs> is anyone in charge of the British government these days? I think some parental guidance is needed there. Liz Truss uh, stepping down after the day before, saying she would never step down. She's a fighter. Um, apparently not so much fight. Uh, Steve, we'll start with you, but we'll quickly go to Neil. Well, I was going to say, I, I know, one, you see so much written about this. One of the things yeah. that I thought Neil would like the most is that the last four British prime, prime ministers all came from Oxford University, and all four have resigned. <laughs> wow. There and I just go. took my daughter to Oxford University <laughs> to have a look around Uh-oh. in the previous summer. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. So come on, Steve. Let's go a little bit further hmm. from a Singaporean, and I, I would like to know from an international business perspective, you deal with clients every day. I genuinely want to know this. How is Britain, UK, viewed right now in the international business community? Well, I mean, from a kind of a, a you know political scientist, poli sci kind of person, what we're seeing now is that that the UK is experiencing all the downsides of a parliamentary system with none of the upsides, right? When you look at the British government versus the you know the American version uh, of of how to structure a government. The British version, the upsides are you have one party. They can they can rule together. You get things done. There's no checks and balances, and there's you know there's no compromises need to get made between two parties. Yeah. Here, nothing's getting done. And the downsides of the parliamentary system, of course, is that you don't have direct uh, election of your leader. And so the British people are up in arms yes. that we are now going to have another 
person leading the government who wasn't elected directly or even indirectly um, by the people. And from a business perspective, so that's kind of the poli-sci perspective, from the, the business perspective, I mean, the real question is, you know, look, the UK is ungovernable right now. And is that because of the disaster that is, you know, Liz Truss and, 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 mm. and the people she put into the cabinet? Or is it governable at all because of where the economy is, all the hmm. pressures you've got from COVID and inflation and all the stresses being put onto the economy because of, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what's going to happen to energy hmm. prices, what's hmm. going to happen to food prices. So can anybody fix this mess? And if you can't, the problems in the UK are going to spread out to the United States, to the rest of the EU, to Singapore, and it is going to have real impact. Well, the, uh, All right, the Neil, your turn. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying not to this week. Uh, the Conservative government and aspects of the British media would be very impressed with you, Steve. You didn't mention the B word once, which is the reason, right? I mean, no, they skirt around it in the UK. You don't have to. This all stems from the referendum of June 2016, pulling out of the biggest trading block on the planet. That has to, and it all stems from there. What's your take on that? Well, it, it, I mean, that's certainly a big part of it. And I mean, one of the interesting questions would be, can you undo Brexit? Um, is that going to solve the problem or is, is it just too far down the road? Would the EU even want the UK to come back um, and be no. more integrated uh, economically? But that's, that, that's, I think, part of my underlying question is, is the UK governable? And part of it, is it governable because of of Brexit? And then what's going to happen when you get a new prime minister? And how long is presume, well, it could be a he or a she. There's, you know, seem to be three top contenders, two men and one woman. So they're good. how long will he or she last? And, and can they survive longer? And when's there going to be a new election? So there's just so much up in the air right now. Neil, what do you, when you look at this, I mean, obviously I know you have strong opinions of, uh, about the last few governments, uh, but, but when you, when you look at this, wh where, where are the, where's the hope for positive change. Is there any hope? General for election. It's the only, uh, there doesn't have to, see the issue is, as Steve alluded to, there doesn't have to be a, a general election for at least 18 months. And this is the strangest thing. It's never happened before. It, similar to what uh, Steve says when he talks about the Trump and the midterms, you're in unprecedented territory here. Everything is unprecedented. For example, you have the 1922 committee, which is the committee within the Conservative Party mm -hmm. run by backbenchers that have rules, very fixed rules, but they're being changed on a daily basis. Mm. For example, once a new leader is elected, as in the case of Liz Truss, she has a right to govern for a whole year, whatever happens, oh. untouchable. That's now been changed uh -huh. because if enough ministers and MPs go into the, the guys called uh, Sir Graham Brady, who's like the chair of this committee, if they go into them and, and enough of them say, vote of no confidence, we cannot, we cannot work under this woman, then she is forced to resign. That's how they get around the loophole. Mm. They did it with her, they did it with Johnson. Mm -hmm. So you have this situation, as Steve says, where you've got, oh, I nearly said one-party government, that's ridiculous, but they are considered to be the natural party of government because they've been in power for so long. Sure. They are utterly ruthless. There is no party, arguably in Western democracies, who are as ruthless at getting rid of their own leaders if they think it will keep them in charge. Mm. They did it with Thatcher and they've done it subsequently with just about everybody. What was the key issue in every one of those deposed prime ministers, going back to Margaret Thatcher? It was Europe. It's always Europe. Mm. And the sad part is now. Do you know who's probably, I'll ask this, Steve this question, who is the most dominant, overbearing, influential politician in British politics of the last 20 years would be? 
over the last 20 and years. And he hasn't even, I'll give you a clue, he's never been once elected to any position in the UK. I, well, you, yeah. I, you'd say Jeremy Hunt today, but certainly not over the past It's Nigel Farage. Yeah. It's Nigel Farage, oh, sure. who is the head of the Brexit party yep. in UKIP, yep. forced, the, forced the British Conservative Party to kind of shoehorn in elements of his right-wing manifesto because they feared that they were losing too many votes to UKIP and other right-wing groups. Now that's become mainstream policy. Mm. And unfortunately, there are echoes of the US here, unfortunately, the Conservative Party is now so fractured... There is no vision. Mm. There is no mandate. What is their mandate? They've got right-wing elements. They've got centrist elements. They've got centre-right elements. Nobody can decide. And the public certainly has no idea what the Conservative Party is or represents right now. Traditionally, it was right. Not too dissimilar to America. Conservatives were considered one-nation Tories. That means low spending, fiscal responsibility, low taxes, so on and so on. And Labour was portrayed as, you know, brazen with the spending, big welfare, big state, and so on. There is no clear definition of what the Conservative Party is or what it represents. So from a voter's standpoint, who doesn't even get a say, as Steve says, so I genuinely don't know. I don't think anybody, political scientists, academics, I don't think anybody knows. And the fact that Boris Johnson is on a plane as we speak, flying back to the UK to put his hat in the ring, when he faces, just to clarify for Singaporeans, he faces an ongoing investigation by a Commons committee, echoes of Trump again, after being accused of misleading MPs during lockdown, right? If he's mm. found con- guilty of that, if he's found to be in contempt of Parliament, he faces suspension and he faces the loss of his seat. And he's campaigning to be the leader. Have you seen anything like this, Steve, no. in all your experience? of uh... Well, the, the worry is that, the, that the, what the, both parties in the U.S. Are, are going a little bit in that direction, but the Republicans more so. I mean, where the Republicans, you have the MAGA Republicans on the one side and you have the more moderate, or it's more the establishment Republicans on the other side. And are you going to see the Republican Party go the route of the conservative party? And if it does, that is going to lead to all sorts of issues in the U.S similar to what you have in the UK. The Democratic Party has, has, has avoided that more so than, than the Republican Party has. There's certainly a split where you have, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on one side, and then you have, you know, Joe Biden and, and more of the moderate Democrats on the other side. And right now, the Democratic Party has stayed unified. If the Republicans get the House um, and it's a narrow majority where it, you have Kevin McCarthy leading the House for the Republicans, but with only a few seats to swing, mm-hmm. you're going to see the same thing in the Republicans that you've seen in and the conservatives in the UK, fortunately, the system of checks and balances in the US will prevent the nightmare scenario that the UK is going through right now, which is what makes Singapore all the more remarkable because it has been able to keep its one party where everybody stays aligned. And when there's a little bit of an issue, they come together, they say, okay, who, who, we're gonna, who is going to be our next leader of the party? And then we're going to have an election where that person is going to be given the mandate from the people. So Singapore has avoided the problems the US and the UK have had. And let's hope that Singapore, and certainly seems that Singapore will yeah. stay on its path. I'm just afraid the U.S. is going to go down the route of the U.K. and then it's going to be even worse for the global But that's economy. a good point that Steve makes, just mm. briefly, that Singapore sure. adopted the basic principles of the British parliamentary system, yeah. um, as did other countries. And whatever your thoughts on the U.K., they were traditionally seen as a bastion of stable, consistent Western democracy, parliamentary-style politics. They were seen as a bastion of that. Now you're seeing comparisons to Berlusconi's Italy, Greece, they're being put 
in that kind of category, Steve. Well, they're, they're, they're right there with Malaysia in terms of the number of prime ministers you're going to have feed this week, <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> All right, we've got to move on to our next topic, bringing it back to Singapore. Uh, prime Minister Lee visited Australia and, and was highlighting Singapore's balancing act between the U.S. and China. And he also had some comments on our uh, the U.S. Uh, chip curb, etc. Uh, give us the overview of what exactly he said while he was in uh, Australia and, and how that led to this chip comment. Well, I, I think so this this highlights how U.S., China and and the the what is certainly heading down the path of a Cold War 2.0 is just going to override everything in the region. Here you have a, a Singapore, Australia, you know, high level visit. It's the seventh annual annual leaders meeting. There's such good relations uh, politically, diplomatically, economically between the Singapore and Australia and how important that relationship is. Yet it's overshadowed by what's going on between the U.S. Um, and China. Um, and it, it highlights the balancing act that Singapore is doing and is going to get even more difficult between the U.S. and China. For example, on the CPTPP, the most important uh, trade agreement in Asia-Pacific, certainly the most high-level trade agreement mm -hmm. in Asia-Pacific, which the U.S. abandoned under President Trump and will not come back to, doesn't seem, under President Biden, but China wants in. Yep. Mm. And Australia has made you know, very clear through its statements uh, with the, uh, from their trade minister said that the trade minister for Australia says, I don't see any prospect that China could join CPTPP. Why is that? Because China, one, doesn't live up to its commitments um, in international trade agreements, as we've seen. You've seen China take aggressive action against Australia when Australia says we're not going to, we want a full investigation of COVID. And then China says, oh, by the way, no more wine from Australia into our country. So Australia doesn't want China into CPTPP, but what does Prime Minister Lee say when he's there? He said, I think it's a good thing if China were able to join CPTPP. So you see the tensions yeah. and the balancing act even when you have the, those relationships between Singapore and Australia. And also, I'm interested to know, they're, they're doing this agreement or they've signed this agreement on bilateral relationship about connectivity and data security. I personally find that fascinating, the one between Singapore and Australia, because there was a recent breach of security. Optus, which was yeah. a phone network I used when I lived in... Millions of uh, records. Uh, of Australia. And yep. of course, it's Singtel-owned. Yep. So there are close connectivity data issues there with Australia and Singapore already. So it's quite significant development, Steve. Yeah, I mean, and you saw also that, that Singapore and Australia signed Singapore's first ever green economy yes. agreement. So a lot that is going on bilateral will be between Singapore and Australia, but it's still going to be, if not overshadowed, you're, you're going to have different views of Australia on how to deal with China, um, from the U.S. on how to deal with China, and Singapore on how to deal with China. And all of that is just going to make this balancing act so much better. So yeah, you're still going to see strong relations, of course, between Singapore, Australia, on green economy, on data security. But what's going to happen when it comes to trade, like on CPTPP? What's going to happen when the U.S. puts in restrictions on, on microchips? And it's going to get even, you're going to see more restrictions coming. And 
that's going to impact Singapore. It's going to impact the EU. It's going to impact everybody. Um, and so it's just going to overshadow the U.S.-China competition and confrontation is going to overshadow almost everything now. And just briefly, the, uh, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Lee, uh, mentioned that the, um, the U.S. chip curb mm. could have wide-ranging ramifications. Take us through what he was talking about there. Well, I mean, the, the U.S. has made clear in, in – uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, said in a speech that the U.S. must maintain as large a lead as possible when it comes to China and uh, technology superiority, and that the U.S. is going to be much more active in preventing China from making progress on semiconductors um, and on and it will, will soon be other key technologies. Because the U.S. has seen that China has become more aggressive internationally and more repressive at home. And if China gets access to the type of technology, it's going to use it to become even more aggressive internationally and more repressive domestically. And so the U.S. is now putting restrictions on. And those restrictions impact everybody. When mm -hmm. the U.S. says you can have U.S. persons working on you know, certain chips that go to China, they could be working for Singapore companies, these, these U.S. citizens or U.S. PRs. Uh, they can now not work for a Singapore company if they're going, Singapore is going to be doing this type of business in China. When you integrate everything together, all the products together, it better not have U.S. technology if it's going to China. And so that's going to impact Singapore companies. It, it, it's Singapore. And the prime minister the, came out very widely and said, we, we, it, he said, quote, this could create a less stable world. And, a, and he's, he went further. It can have very wide ramifications. I'm assuming he's referring to Singapore there as well as the other countries in the region. And, and again, this is where the U.S. is going to disagree with him, where the U.S. is saying we're doing this because this decoupling is going to create a more stable world. If we <laughs> allow... China. He said, to, he said. No, I'm saying, but this is, this is where you have two right. different views yeah. on, 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 on where China is in the world order, and you have two different views on what constitutes national security. And this is where Prime Minister Albanese said, you know, took the U.S. view, said national security is not just about defense systems. It's about our capacity to make things. And from his perspective, it's how do you make things in Australia? How are you going to be less vulnerable to shocks when it comes to cybersecurity or what it might be and whether it could be in an international conflict? So what the Prime Minister of Australia says and what the U.S. is saying and doing are, are more aligned and where... Prime Minister Lee is looking at it from a globalization perspective and the mm. economic perspective, um, saying this decoupling is going to lead to a less stable world when you don't have that integration between the two largest economies, which, of course, is the U.S. and China. Let's pick, uh, sorry, I'm uh, just going to yeah. say, Steve, a more existential question maybe. Where does this end? I mean, no, neither side have made it clear. They have no intentions of backing down anytime soon. Where does this end? I mean, it, you need to ask what policies are is, is China going to take? What is you know she going to do under the uh, when he gets his his third term, and which could end up being a fourth term and a fifth term because like the UK changed all its rules, the Communist Party in China changed its rules and now says you can you don't have a two term limit um, to be party secretary. So what does this mean? Um, you have to ask what is what is China's reaction going to be? What are other countries' reactions going to be? You overlay this 
this with what what's going to happen um, in the South China Sea, what's going to happen with Taiwan, and what's the future of cross-straits relations. So it is becoming, in Prime Minister Lee's uh, terms, no doubt, we are now in a less stable world, mm-hmm. and this is going to have impacts from an economic perspective, a business perspective, a defense perspective, and, and certainly a you know bilateral and multilateral relationships. All right. Last story. we got to cover it quickly. A Chinese diplomat who was filmed pulling the hair of a Hong Kong pro-democracy protester on the grounds of the consulate in Manchester, uh, England, defended his actions, saying it was, quote, his duty to maintain China's dignity. Um, obviously, protesters disagree, Steve. Well, I mean, it's it's what is you know what is UK law? What is the right of a when a, you are a foreign government or when you are a guest in a country? You have to respect the laws of of where you visit. And what I can do in the United States, you can't. I can't. Some things are going to be different here. What you can do in the UK, they're going to be different here. And certainly, it's going to be different in China. You had a a a person who had who fled Hong Kong. He's got a, a British national overseas visa. He fled Hong Kong. He said, I am going to try and, and um, take a protest against the Communist Party. I'm going to time this to, to President Xi's opening remarks at the, you know, at the party Congress. So he's doing this to be as aggressive as he can within his rights in the UK. He puts up signs that, you know, with, with you know, a picture of, of Xi with a noose around his neck. It says, you know, you know uh, F the party. And, and, and so what did the consul general do? Apparently, certainly what the police said he did was that he said the consul general left the grounds of the consulate, took down the signs and grabbed the protester and put him onto consulate property and then, and then pulled his hair and mm. beat him mm. um, and where he suffered, you know, relatively, you know, serious injuries. Neil, this, uh, this that's one, the uh, question is, is you can't do that. Well, that was my question. I've seen the footage. It's pretty shocking stuff. And I know the area because I studied in Manchester. More broadly, as a former diplomat yourself, for the benefit of listeners, what are the international rules on this? When you have a consulate in a foreign country, it's a grey area. If anyone has seen the footage, he is literally dragged from the street, yeah. which is technically British territory, right. inside to the grounds of the consulate. Which is where sovereign he, Chinese where he territory. is beaten. I mean, that's not alleged. The video is everywhere. Yeah. What are the rules on this and what are the repercussions internationally? Well, no, the rules are clear. I mean, what, you know, you have certain rights within the grounds of, of the consulate, but you cannot leave the consulate and then drag somebody back onto the consulate. That's, that, that becomes abduction. Um, and then when you hit somebody, that's assault. And what the Chinese foreign ministry said in their statement was that the, the people here maliciously harassed and illegally entered the Chinese consulate, injured Chinese staff, threatened the safety of the Chinese diplomatic premises, and that so, so everything that the, the, their claim, everything the consulate did was legal. And it, under the Chinese MFAs, you know, Ministry of Foreign Affairs version, yeah, they didn't do anything wrong. If somebody's going to enter your grounds and then start to, to beat you, you have a, a chance to, to protect yourself. But the police said that's not what happened. The video footage said that's not what happened. And so the UK government called in the the, they asked to see the charge, charge d'affaires of the Chinese embassy. He didn't go. 
they sent somebody lower level. Um, the UK government lodged a complaint. Now, the question is, if you really want to escalate this as the British government, you could make the consul general in Manchester who committed the assault, uh, you know, what we call PNG, you persona non grata, and then you kick him out of the country. Which is what they're calling for. And what are the repercussions of that? that? That's a can of worms, isn't it, surely? I mean, you would, that would certainly put a strain, a higher strain on UK-China relations. And I you would, would expect, expect some tit-for-tat, you know, China doing something with no, a, you a U.K. diplomat. He'll, he'll go on holiday and maybe mm. he won't come back and it won't come to, to formally, you know, PNGing somebody because that really will raise the stakes. So yeah. I think it's certainly in both sides' efforts to, to cool, cool this down, find a way out of it without escalating the diplomatic tensions because the U.K. has made clear you can't do this mm. um, and they don't have to take that next step. Yeah. So I wouldn't expect it, but you never know. In the, in, the, in the scenarios we have. All right, gents, we got to leave it there. Thanks, Steve, for all of your insights. We'll see you again next week. And I'm waiting for my Money FM shirt. I know. <laughs> Those of you, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Glenn's even got his, your name. Did, can I they know, see you? They got, the, you got it. your name. Those of you Look watching uh, Facebook Live, I know we brand new shirts just came in. Anyway, okay, got to <laughs> run. Thanks, everybody. See you next week, Steve. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.